What's going on guys? Welcome back to the show. Today I'm going to update you guys on how my cut is going and we're going to do a little Q&A on the back end of that. So stick around. And for those of you guys who have been following Jenna and I, we recently moved outside of Austin, Texas. We're originally both from New Jersey and it's freaking awesome. We love it. Uh, if you're a Texan, hit us up with some recommendations on stuff to do. It's definitely been fun so far. Just been, I think we're in our third week here. Uh, weather's been great. Callie's been loving it. And uh, yeah, overall, we might talk about how that plays into our cutting uh, uh, phase in a bit. So something I want to start with when we talk about, uh, you know, how cutting is going for me or, you know, when you see somebody else on Instagram documenting their cutting phase is something that I feel very strongly about is that the people that you want to look like probably live a life that you would fucking hate. Listen to me. The people you want to look like probably live a life you would fucking hate. Or at the very least, a life that doesn't look anything like what yours currently looks like or what yours has the capacity to look like. And I say that because our cutting phase, and I'm going to, spoiler, Jenna's going to come on the podcast. I know a lot of you guys have been asking. We're very excited. Uh, either next week or the following week. And we're going to break down because I think that's when we're going to be probably ending our cutting phases together. Uh, and we want to kind of just recap on how that went and you know give you guys some insight. But you're going to find out that, you know, for the two of us, cutting hasn't been that difficult. Obviously, it's less food than I'd like, and, you know, I have to be a bit more, there's a little cognitive restraint involved and a bit more trade-offs, totally. But it hasn't been that hard, and I'm telling you, because of that first thing I said, it's like the people you want to look like probably live a life that you would hate. The people that you see making it look easy are probably living a life that you either cannot realistically live or a life that you would choose not to live even if you could. And so, yes, cutting has been a bit easy, and I know that that can be annoying to hear, but hear me out. We're going to talk about why, and you might be like, oh, okay. Well, uh, I'm telling you this for two reasons. First reason is maybe there are things that I'm doing that you can take home that will help you make your fat loss more convenient, your weight maintenance more convenient, easier, less stressful, totally. Or the second reason is that, you know, you might hear what I'm saying and how I'm living and say, I don't want to do those things. I don't want to make those trade-offs. And so you can stop expecting fat loss to be fast or easy, which is fine. Like, I want to be real. I, I, I considered not making this podcast, and you guys follow me on Instagram. I haven't been talking too much about it, uh, my fat loss phase. I haven't been posting too much of my weigh-ins. I know Jenna does a lot of that stuff, and she's doing an amazing job at documenting that. So if you don't follow her, it's at uh, JM Bruno Fitness. Um, she's doing an amazing job with that. But I haven't been documenting it a ton, and I'm a little bit torn because it hasn't been that difficult. It's been going fairly well. Um, and I just, you know, you need to know that it's not going to be easy. And all these fitness influencers, myself included, I hate that word, but whatever, these people you follow on Instagram who make it look easy, they have wildly different lives than you, different goals, different relationship with food history, different social pressure. Like, this is their identity. Like, you know, being in the fitness industry being somebody who other people look to is part of my identity. And so there's just an entirely different life going on here. Um, and, and, and most of you guys would hate my life. I'm going to talk about, you know, maybe five to seven reasons why fat loss has been pretty easy. And I, I know that most of you listening are like, yeah, I would hate my life. Uh, I would hate that life. And that's cool. Like, it's important for you to realize that, like, when you see other people like, oh, my God, I lost, you know, one to two pounds every single week. I didn't miss a beat. I didn't take a diet break, didn't have a refeed, didn't have any struggles. Like, yeah, okay, that's fine. That's because this person is living a wildly different life than you, a life that you wouldn't want to live, No, like, even if you could. Cool. 
So let's go through a couple of reasons. I think there are seven reasons that things have been fairly easy, relatively speaking, thus far. Um, and keep in mind, these are not things you must do or have for fat loss to be successful. I'm just saying these things have, to me, been reasons why fat loss has been, you know, um, relatively smooth sailing. And reason number one is Jenna. And I and and for those of you guys who don't know, um, Jenna is my girlfriend who is also an online coach and you know takes care of her fitness. It's something that's important to her. We've both been personal trainers for most of our lives. Uh, we have a, a passion for this and what we do. And, you know, having that social support of somebody who really does understand what I'm going through. She's obviously cutting as well. We're going to talk about that in a second. But recently there was a meta-analysis done where they looked at a whole bunch of a massive amount of weight loss studies and tried to figure out common threads where people were the most successful. And one of the common, and, and by the way, we can define what successful means, but it was something to do with an amount of weight that was lost and an amount of weight that was maintained over a certain amount of time. One of the common threads was having social support, even you know having a workout buddy that's going through the same things as you are, having a spouse that supports you, having friends that that aren't being dementors that you know I call them like the live a little dementors. They're like, come on, live a little. Like having social support that allows you to feel like you can do you and prioritize what you want to prioritize without being judged was a common thread, and that makes total sense to me. Like having Jenna, one just because of who she is. If I want to order a fucking salad, I order a fucking salad. No judgment. You know, if I'm not looking to have a drink or whatever, and we'll get to that in a second, like no judgment, no judgment, support, no judgment. Um, but also she's going through it with me. And so that's like double whammy where it's like, hey, we're both going through similar trade-offs. We're both probably going to be looking to eat mostly nutritious, high satiety foods. Or, you know, you know, when this had originally began, she wanted to cut and I was on the tail end of it. We were both gaining at the same time, but I wasn't necessarily mentally ready to cut and she really did want to cut. And I was thinking, okay, like I'd really rather keep gaining. But the thought of her bringing her calories down low and me, mine being like more than double that just didn't feel conducive. It wasn't going to be fun for me and I knew it wasn't going to be fun for her. Like it wasn't going to be, neither of us would be as successful. And I don't even mean successful because I think that she would still do whatever she needs to do, but it just wouldn't have been as much fun. And so we're doing it together. So having a buddy, having a spouse that is doing it you know, doing it with you is cool. That That's probably like the peak of the pyramid of like, or I guess the base or the whatever, the best thing you can have. But just having people in your life that let you do you. I asked recently in my in my uh, weekly check-ins with my clients how social support was. And what I, what I think I care about most is you at least having a circle in your life that allows you to do you without judgment. It'd be nice if you had friends or a spouse that you were going through all of this with together, right? That'd be great. But at least I want people to have a circle. I hope that you guys create and curate your own circle of people that aren't, that let you do you, that aren't judging you. If you want to order a salad, you order a salad. If you don't have a drink, you don't get an eye. There's none of this like, oh, live a little. Oh, you're not fun. Like, fuck that, man. Those people are soul suckers. That's literally why I call them Dementors. It's the perfect word for them. They just like suck the soul and the happiness out of everything. It's like we can still hang out without needing, you know, you needing to judge what I'm doing. Anyway, irrelevant. I'm saying rule number one, reason that this has been pretty easy is because I have somebody who accepts me and doesn't you know, judge me for my actions. And obviously in this case is going through it with me, which is even better. Now, reason number two, we have no kids. Like if you are a uh, uh, you know, middle-aged, which I hate that word, we don't really even know what that means, whatever. If you're a middle-aged person with young kids or kids at all, and you think your fat loss phase is gonna be as like 
like uh, uh, autonomous where you can just do whatever it is you want without affecting anybody else. Like that's just not the case. You're not, you're you're the way you make decisions and the way I make decisions are very different. I'm if I'm hungry or I don't want to eat or I want to eat this, I just do it. And yeah, I have Jenna, but like we said, it's like having a fair, you know, it's somewhat of a clone. Like uh, I just do it. I'm not thinking, oh, what do my kids want to eat? My kids want pizza. What am I going to get from the pizzeria? Like I don't have those thoughts. And so if you have kids. You have more responsibility than the average person on Instagram who you're comparing yourself to. Next reason is like, we don't have a huge robust social life. And this is the kind of one where I, uh, where I really think about this one and the fact that neither of us drink. So we don't drink alcohol, maybe, you know, one to three times a year. And we don't really have a robust social life around food and drink. And this is where I go back to like people you want to look like or the people that are succeeding in fat loss like you want to probably live a life you would fucking hate. We barely go out in that context. Yeah, we go out to eat, we try new restaurants, but like we, in this context, in a fat loss phase, are gonna make choices based on the fact that, hey, this is our number one goal right now. Like we've been in we've been in Austin every weekend and like we're not yet saying, hey, let's go try every really great barbecue place because right now it's just gonna be a ton of calories, which is, by the way, I love barbecue. I cannot wait to explore all of the great barbecue. But right now with the calories we have and the goals that we have, at this moment, not forever, at this moment, we're thinking, okay, we're not gonna do that right now. Maybe we'll save that for another time when we have more calories, which is very soon. So like most of you guys listening have way more robust social lives than us. And you love it and it's a big part of your life and it's important to you. And I know this because I have a million clients like you. Not a million clients, you know what I mean. I've had, I've worked with many people like you where you have priorities, you need to meet your friends, you wanna go out for a drink, you guys wanna get, get dinner together, like you wanna go out with your family, like that's great that's going to make fat loss harder. Now, I'm not saying you can't do that. Of course you can do that. And you should do that. It should be a part of your life. You should be enjoying yourself. What I'm saying is that for me it, and for us, I guess it has been easier because we don't have those temptations. If you, I was talking about this with a client recently. If you could quantify temptation by some algorithm of uh, frequency and intensity. So how many times do you get, are you up against temptation and how intense are those moments of temptation? I'd say hours are very low. Very infrequently am I in a place where I feel pressure to do something that I might not currently want to do. And even when I'm in those situations, they're not intense, right? And so I think a lot of people put themselves in those scenarios or have a lifestyle where that just naturally happens. And that's okay. Like these are not things that you must do or have for fat loss to be successful. I'm just saying that this has been helpful, right? We don't drink and our social life is not based around eating and drinking often. You know, we'll go out, we'll try new restaurants and stuff, but it isn't necessarily about the food and the drink. Um, cool. Next one is, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky. I started with a good relationship with food, right? I'm in a place where I have not struggled with over restriction and binge eating and disordered eating. Like, yeah, I've gone through some crazy extremes in my life, but it's still been, I think within the bumpers of a relatively good relationship with food. And so that's lucky. Not everybody's in that place. And if you're somebody who's struggled in the past with over restriction, maybe binge tendencies, disordered eating habits, like it's just not going to be as easy for you to deal with the kind of cognitive restraint and trade-offs that you're going to need to make to achieve fat loss. It's like, a, that's just the way it is. Sorry. Excuse me. Um, and so I want, I'm trying, I feel weird. I'm like sweating telling you guys this stuff because like, it's not, it's likely not going to be that easy. And, and, and while there are things that I hope you can take away from this, one of the things I want you to take away is like, hey, like I should probably stop comparing myself to the people I see on Instagram because they probably live a life that I would either fucking hate or can't realistically live right now or that would just be difficult for me to curate, right? 
The next one is, and, and I feel this way, and it's something I talk about a lot on Instagram with my clients as well. It's like, I'm not, you know, I, I view this very much as short term. Like, I'm not trying to fit in as much normalcy as possible. I know I'm going to have more calories soon. I know that not having the donut right now does not mean not having the donut ever. Like, I know that this is short term. I know that if I want to make, um, and we'll get, I guess I can get to this now, but like, I'm currently more afraid, which is not the right word because I'm not afraid about anything, but I'm currently more focused on uh, not being hungry and not being able to perform in my job and my life because I'm so food focused and so hungry than I am, you know, concerned about the consequences of not eating the donut right now. Like for me, everything I'm eating, yeah, I like the taste totally. I'm making stuff that I enjoy, but I'm highly prioritizing satiety per calorie. Like, highly prioritizing that. Like I am way more concerned. I don't want to be hungry. I know if I'm hungry, I'm irritable. I can't do my job well. I'm not going to be a good uh, uh, boyfriend. I'm not going to be a good friend. I'm not going to be a good coach. I'm way more concerned with how hunger and overall just lack of physiological satiety is going to affect my life. Now, there's also the, you know, the, the, the psychological side of that. It's like some people are going to be negatively affected in all the ways I just said by restricting certain foods. Now I'm not restricting certain foods. I know I can have anything. I just can't have everything. And right now I would prefer to make all of my food choices or as many as possible be about prioritizing satiety per calorie because I hate being hungry. I hate being hungry. I hate being hungry more than I hate saying no to having a drink. I hate being hungry more than I hate, you know, choosing the the chicken, uh, you know, the chicken salad over the over the steak bacon wrapped scallops or whatever, which probably isn't even that high in calorie anyway, but whatever. Um, like at this point, I it's about, and it all kind of circles back to understanding that this isn't forever. Like you're not in a fat loss phase for forever. You're gonna bring your calories up. You're gonna have more room for more spending on more things. And right now it's like you're getting a pay cut. It's like, I got a pay cut and I'm just gonna stop balling out at the club. Like that just makes some sense to me. I'm not saying I'm never gonna go to the club, but maybe I don't buy a table. Maybe I just get a drink right? Maybe I don't buy a bottle. I just get a drink. And so it's like, it's not like I'm restricting all the way down to zero, but I'm recognizing I, I just got a pay cut. And so I'm probably going to adjust my spending a little bit until I get more, un, until I get a raise again, it just makes some sense to me. Now there is a, there's a, it's, it's more complex than that because some people by peeling back, they start to feel like they're restricting. And then that leads to psychologically, uh, the need to have those or the feeling, the craving of having those foods. It's not even physiological. It's psychological. It's like, okay, I, you know, I, I haven't, I've been saying no to the dessert and the dessert and the dessert, and it just is built up pressure that eventually I, I really want to have it. And I think it would also circle back to like having a high amount of temptation, both in quantity, like frequency and in intensity. Um, it's, there's not a lot of, I don't have to say no a lot because of the way my lifestyle is constructed. And I think that you can, you can adjust your lifestyle to some degree to make it more convenient. You totally can. But sometimes you can't. And I want you to know that there are everybody who you're looking at on social media, like their life is not your life. Their life is probably way more conducive for fat loss. Now, can you take your life and make it a little bit more conducive? Can you move yourself across the spectrum? Totally. Should you? Probably. Like you absolutely should take a look at your life and say, hey, can I, you know, maybe make better trade-offs for fat loss when I go out to eat. Maybe going out to eat a little bit less and cooking a little bit more. Maybe drinking a little bit less, right? Maybe all of those things, maybe giving my kids away. No, I'm just kidding. 
Um, like, like what about my life can I adjust within reason to make fat loss a bit more convenient? Because I know that fat loss isn't forever. I'm not going to be in a deficit forever. You're going to have more calories soon. So right now, are there temporary trade-offs you can make? No, they don't need to be so black and white. It's not like I'm never going to have a cookie. It's not like I'm never going to have something, you know, liquid calories. It's not like I'm never going to have a piece of dessert. Just gently move yourself along the spectrum towards the things that are going to make fat loss a bit more convenient. And the last one that I'm going to talk about kind of does go into that regard as well. It's like, We've been prioritizing steps. I've never had this many steps before in my life, right? Like uh, I usually go out for walks. We walk Cali. We, we like being outside. And so I've always been like fairly active between calls. I'll go out for 10, 15 minute, 20, 20 minute walk, whatever. But right now it's, we are prioritizing steps. And what I want to say is I want to kind of just verbalize a post that I made this week. And the post was essentially a discussion of, you have all heard this quote. The quote is, you don't have to do cardio to lose weight, right? You don't have to do cardio to lose weight. And that is 100% factually true. Like it is a fact. You do not have to do cardio to lose weight. You just need to be in a calorie deficit, right? But when it comes to that sentiment, there is a percentage of people that are running themselves ragged on the treadmill, not making any progress in terms of fat loss and really need to hear this sentiment because it will make them realize, you know what? Maybe I'm not prioritizing my nutrition as I should be, and maybe I'm trying to, you know, outrun a bad diet, quote unquote, or whatever. Um, and maybe, you know, I could bring this. I could, I could maybe spend a bit more of my mental energy on something that might move the needle a bit more, which is probably my nutrition, right? Um, and you also have people who hate doing intentional cardio, and they hear this and they realize, okay, maybe I can just do walking, and they're wildly more successful because they're happier. They're not. You know, maybe they are torn between lifting weights and hitting the elliptical for a half hour. And hearing this, you know, empowers them to, to crush a weight training session and go for a walk instead. That's great. That's all great. I think that sentiment for the right person, the right situation is helpful. But I think we've also turned people anti-cardio. We've making it, we're making it look like movement is not a super fucking important part of fat loss. It is. It's super important. Like, you can't outwork your bad diet, but guess what? It's going to be really freaking hard to out-diet your sedentary lifestyle. Like, if you're getting four, 5,000 steps, you're going to have to eat significantly less than the, than you if you were getting, I don't know, ten to 12,000 steps. Now, I, I'm not saying everybody can do that. Not everybody's life can get that many steps. What I am saying is we need to get out of this mindset of movement isn't important for fat loss. I don't have to do cardio to lose weight. Guess what? That shit helps. Like, Yes, what kind of cardio should you do? When should you do it? Like all of those questions aside, prioritizing your steps, getting more steps, moving more in literally any capacity is going to be helpful for fat loss. Like the fact that doing more steps has become this like underrated thing that you can do to enhance your fat loss progress is, is insane. It's like literally half of the equation, right? It's the calories out portion of calories in, calories out. Now I'm not saying it's go, you, you can... Right? I'm not saying that you can outrun your bad diet, whatever, but I am saying it's going to be really hard to outdiet your sedentary lifestyle. And you're for a lot of people, they're like, I don't know why I'm not losing weight. My calories are in a deficit. Dude, you're getting 4,000 steps. Like, you're not burning many calories. And I know that you know that's not the be-all, end-all. What all I am saying is that prioritizing steps has made this more, more uh, of a smoother process where I was normally getting... 7,000 steps a day when we were back in Jersey. And by the way, being in Texas helps. It's been much nicer out. Um, we were getting, I don't know, 7,000 steps a day. I don't think we've had a day under 10,000. 
Now, I don't think you need to get to a certain number, but prior, start prioritizing a bit more steps, right? Even if it's not forever, even if you do 10 to 12 during your cutting phase and realistically your life uh, you know, isn't gonna be able to sustain that long-term, you don't necessarily have to do it long-term. And there's like a deeper conversation there that actually on Kim Schlag's podcast, we talked about some of these changes that may or may not be uh, forever. Like, are you allowed to make changes that aren't forever? And I'll link that in the description, wonderful episode. But to some degree, like you're allowed to, to just like lowering your calories is temporary. You're allowed to increase your movement temporarily. Now, you know, if you just go back to doing exactly like, uh, you know, if you, if you do a really great deficit phase and then you just go back to not moving and eating a ton like you were before the deficit phase, like, yes, you will gain all your weight back or some weight back or enough weight back where you'll feel like it wasn't worth it. But, but um, that doesn't mean you need to keep the exact same step count for the rest of your life. Awesome. That was a bit longer than I had hoped, but in any case, uh, Jenna and I are gonna be on the podcast talking in a bit more depth about how our fat loss phase went and some key takeaways, some of which are gonna be uh, a bit more uh, extensive breakdown of stuff we just talked about, but yeah, I hope that that was helpful. And I wanna reiterate, listen, I, I've, I, I'm sweating right now because I hate telling my listeners that this isn't that hard for me. Like that is Fucked up to say, and I and I and I know there are going to be people that are turn, that have turned the podcast off already because like, oh, this guy, it's too easy for him. But I want I, that's what I want to get across. The people that you're comparing yourself to probably live a life that you would fucking hate or that you can't realistically live. That doesn't mean that you can't achieve fat loss. It means stop comparing yourself to those people and start recognizing that your life has constraints, has non-negotiables. Your kids have shit to do. Sometimes you have to go out. You know, sometimes you 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 you, uh, uh, you didn't start with a really great relationship with food or your life can't really account for getting as many steps. But hopefully you heard some of that and you thought, okay, maybe I can move myself a little bit across the spectrum there. Like maybe I heard Jordan talk about how he's really prioritizing satiety per calorie because he knows that fat loss isn't forever and one day soon, very soon, he'll have more calories. And that means, it doesn't mean because I have more calories, I'm automatically gonna fill those calories with the things I wasn't eating, but it's like getting a pay cut. It's like, I got a pay cut and I'm gonna adjust my spending. Like you're allowed to do that. Um, cool, sorry, passionate about that there. All right, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven questions, awesome. First question, sorry, moving on here, Q&A time. Uh, first question, it's from Aaron Hind9. Hope I pronounced that correctly. How long does it take for creatine to kick in and make you retain water? So I'll go right to the chase here. It's something I've talked about on the podcast. So creatine will take about seven days to begin working if you're not loading and 30 days to fully saturate again if you're not loading. If you are loading, which is, okay, so if you're not loading, that's usually about three to five grams per day, five grams probably to be safe. If you are loading, it's like 10 to 20 grams per day but you get to that that uh, state of full saturation in about seven days. Um, if you don't load, you take that three to five gram dose, it probably takes about a month to fully saturate. The reason I don't recommend loading is because I have found that clients experience some GI distress, which is not worth it because the only thing you're getting is shortening the time in which you fully saturate your creatine stores. When you're gonna be taking creatine for probably the rest of your life. There's no need to cycle it. There's no long-term negative side effects. It is a naturally occurring thing in food. It's not like there's some steroid, like you're gonna be taking creatine for a long time. And so for you to rush to, to and potentially risk some GI distress just to make it kick in in its fullest effect, which by the way, isn't something you'll feel anyway. It's not like you're gonna go super saiyan the minute the creatine gets fully saturated. Like it's gonna be a gradual process that you really never feel meaningfully anyway. You just trust the science and trust that it's working because it is. 
And then from the water retention thing, I'm going to give it to you straight. Stop. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying you are asking, you are saying it this way, but I just want this to be something that's said out loud on the podcast. Like, stop worrying about water retention. Literally full stop there, but even more specifically, stop worrying about water retention from creatine. Creatine pulls water into the muscle and it increases intracellular in the cell, in the muscle cell, intracellular water. That water actually makes you look more defined. It makes your muscles quote unquote, like pop more. It makes them look fuller. That is a good thing aesthetically. It's also a good thing because that is how creatine, like that is a sign that creatine is working. And if there's someone out there selling you creatine that does not cause water retention, they are selling you creatine that does not work. Because for creatine, I believe the term is creatine is an osmolite and it pulls water wherever it goes. And so if you don't retain water, then creatine is never actually getting into the muscle cell. And it's not water weight in the sense of like, oh, I feel bloated. Oh, I feel like you, like the kind of subcutaneous water retention that you can like pinch on your body. It is water in the muscle cell that will make you look more defined. And it is how the, you know the creatine is working. Excellent. Next question from Janie Horwath. She asks, when sick, should you try and hit macros even if you don't feel like eating? This is tricky. What I'll say before we even go into this question is like, if you're sick for like three to five days, then what you're asking is, does it really matter over the long term what I do over three to five days? The answer is it doesn't. And I'm not saying this doesn't matter because yes, you're sick. And yeah, this is an important question. We don't want to mess with being sick, but it's also usually just such a short term. You're like, I, I feel really bad for two days and I don't feel like eating. Now it's a little different if we're talking about COVID and maybe you're sick for a bit longer, but let's say you're sick and you don't feel good for like 48 hours. Like, it doesn't really matter. I prefer the advice of listening to your body. And if you're feeling really shitty and you don't want to eat, your appetite is gone, maybe you're nauseous, at least get some electrolytes, right? Find a, a Gatorade, buy a, a, you know an, uh, an electrolyte packet, something like liquid IV or Element uh, or Gatorade Zero or something, Powerade Zero, whatever. Get some electrolytes in your body and then put down whatever food you feel like you can put down. Um, it's just... At this moment, I'm prioritizing you listening to your body and you resting over, you know, what's going to happen if you you try and hit your macros. Like, I'd rather you listen to your body, get some electrolytes, fit in whatever food you feel like you can, and get better soon than if you're trying to crush your macros, eat through, like, severe discomfort. Like, I don't want that. Um, yeah, I would, I would try and put down whatever food you can put down. Totally. I wouldn't completely starve yourself. Um, but I wouldn't, excuse me, do the opposite and kind of just eat, eat all the way up to the macros, even when you feel like shit. Awesome. Next question is from Leah Darsky. What's up, Leah? Shout out. If your sets are hard, but you don't go close to failure, are you not building slash are you just maintaining? It's an interesting question. If your sets are hard, but you don't go close to failure, it's a bit of an oxymoron here. So what I'm going to, here's what I'm going to read into this. So if your sets are hard, then in my opinion, truly hard, it's a subjective word, but truly hard, then it's very likely that you are close enough to failure for it to be a meaningful adaptation. Now, here's the issue. A lot of people talk about going close to failure. Close to failure does not just mean one, zero to one rep in reserve or zero to two rep in reserve. Like we know that anything below about five RIR brings really nice adaptations. So if your sets are hard, but you don't don't go close to failure, my guess is you're in that three to four RIR state. 
where your sets are pretty challenging, but you definitely could have done a few slash several more. Now, if your sets, so let's be more straightforward with this. If you are beyond five reps in reserve, you're not doing anything. You're not maintaining, it's, it's, I mean, you're probably maintaining, uh, let me rephrase. You are definitely maintaining better than doing nothing, but it's a pretty weak stimulus. But if you're within five reps in reserve, but not quote unquote close to failure, which you might be defining as like one or two rep in the tank, you're still absolutely building for sure. If you're three or four reps in the tank, you're absolutely building, totally. If you're five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 reps in the tank, you're probably maintaining better than doing nothing, but it's a pretty weak stimulus. Next question is from taylormb.fit. And she asks, how does weight gain work? Do you have to be in a surplus? And I'm, I'm rephrasing her question here because Taylor, you asked in like a couple of different blocks. So I'm rephrasing it for you here. You said, how does weight gain work? Do you have to be in a surplus daily or can you have asymmetric calorie intake uh, uh, slash can you do calorie cycling? Like, can you have some higher days and some lower days? Can you have days you're in a deficit and days you're in a big surplus that average out to the kind of surplus you're looking for. And usually we're looking for something like a five to 15% surplus, which is very small. It's like one to 300 calories, one to 400 calories for most people, um, very small. And so can you have, can you do calorie cycling in a surplus? The answer is yes, you absolutely can. You can, however, gun to head if you ask me, let's say somebody's maintenance calories is 200, their surplus calories are 2,300. That's 4,600 calories over two days. Um, if you ask me, if, gun to head, if somebody has 4,600 calories and then fasts or 2,300 calories both days, which one of them over the long term, that style of a pattern of really high, really low or consistently in a small surplus, which one's gonna yield more gains over time? I would absolutely say the more consistent surplus. A good rule of thumb is to spend as few days in a deficit as you can if you're trying to build muscle. Like there's, you know, and, and the, the the more mathematic answer is if you're a thousand calories over on one day or over by 500 on two days, I would bet all the money in the world that the 500 over two days, maybe not in such a small sample size, but over the course of a, you know, 12 month bulk or something like that will make a meaningful, meaningful difference. So when you're gaining, you're trying to gain muscle. First of all, the, the surplus is very small. Um, and I would try and spend as few of those days in a deficit. Now, if you have a day where, you know, let's take that same example, 2,300 calories. If you have a day where you want to have 3,000 and another day where you want to have 1,600, whatever, that's something like a reasonable, uh, that actually worked out perfectly mathematically, yeah. Um, is it going to mess with your gains? Fuck no, you should absolutely do that. That's totally fine. I just wouldn't be super aggressive about it where you're spending four days in a huge surplus, three days in a deficit, but man, if you're gonna have the occasional higher day and the occasional lower day, yeah, that's totally fine. This is not like something that's gonna inhibit you from building muscle. The more important thing is yes, that you are in a surplus on average most of the time and especially cumulatively by the end of the week. So you can do, you can have asymmetric intake. You can have higher and lower days, but I would probably spend as few days in a deficit as possible. But if you do it here and there, you're still gonna be fine. You're gonna make gains. You're gonna make probably the, you know, for most people out there, this is not a meaningful question. Just most of the days I would be in a deficit, as many or in a surplus, as many days as possible. And I probably wouldn't have huge blowout days and then huge starvation days, and I probably wouldn't make that a habit. Awesome. Next question is from Randall.Sanabria. Says, what are some of your favorite exercises or things you enjoy most about being back in a gym? Oof. Um, okay, yeah, I think... My favorite exercises, the things I enjoy most about being back in the gym, definitely first thing that came to mind was machines, a Smith machine and just machines. But if I'm being a bit more specific, I would say 
pulling machines. So a lat pull down and a chest assisted row. A lot of you guys working out at home, you have dumbbells, maybe you even have a barbell, like doing dumbbell rows and barbell rows are great. Maybe you even have a chin up bar and some bands and you're able to do vertical pulling. That's great. But when you get yourself back in the gym, a lot of machine rowing, chest assisted rows, cable rows, uh, lat pull downs, assisted chin ups, a lot of that pulling, those pulling motions, it's nice to have things other than free weights. They tend to have a bit better stimulus to fatigue ratio, which is something we could talk about another time. Um, and again, you don't need those things to build a great back, but that is having a chest assisted row and a cable row uh, and a lat pull down and a, a assisted chin up machine, having the ability to train my back with machines has been really, really helpful. Everything else, I do a lot of free weight work. All my, almost a lot of my arm work is with dumbbells and barbells. A lot of my, you know, Pressing is done with dumbbells. And so you can do a lot with that. And I have a whole podcast on uh, how to prioritize what gym equipment you should buy for for your home gym. And I think if you got, I'll link that in the description for you guys that are still at home and looking for what you should buy. But when it comes to being in the gym, pulling exercises, machines for your back have been really, really great. And last question is from Mrs. Adams Ute. Adams Suit. What, Mr. Saddam's suit. I don't know. It's one of those. I know your name is Laura. Hi, Laura. Last question. Any change in rest periods on peak week? So peak week is uh, not a uh, technical term, but what she's talking about is the last week before your deload. Um, the week where normally volume and uh, relative intensity are the hardest. You're doing your highest volumes. You're going closest to failure. It's a really tough week. So essentially asking in those weeks where your training is probably both longer and harder, do you find yourself or are you allowed to change your rest periods? Um, personally, the answer is yes. Um, I normally hold myself to a pretty, I, I set a timer normally, uh, any, depending on the exercise, either two minutes or three minutes or four minutes, depending on the exercise I'm doing, sometimes even one minute if it's something like a, I find myself recovering quickly on things like tricep pushdowns. Um, cable curls, and so I usually go by a timer, but the timer isn't a hard guide. You know, it's, it's if I'm still huffing and puffing and the timer says to go, like, I'm not gonna go yet. And for me, my cardio is not elite. And so sometimes, like, if I'm doing a really hard set of Bulgarian split squats, and in week one, I might have rest three minutes between sets, I might be resting five minutes between sets in that last week, um, because going so close to failure, maybe doing more sets, is wiping me out. Now, what I wouldn't do is, I wouldn't, have big, huge fluctuations where you're resting two minutes in week one. And, and I know I just gave an example of three minutes to five minutes, but I'd say that for me, that's the biggest change that I see. Normally it's something like, okay, maybe two and a half minutes to three minutes to three and a half minutes across a mesocycle. Because the truth is, if you think about rest periods, and I have an infographic on this, how to decide how long to rest, and I'll put it in the description. I think it describes it really well. You're, what you're looking to do is you're looking to rest long enough to get at least five reps and make the target muscle the limiting muscle. And so what that means is if your cardiovascular system is still recovering and you're not ready, you're not recovered from last set, then you don't go. Whatever the timer says, if you're huffing and puffing, you're not ready to squat. And then you wanna rest until your synergist muscles recover. And so if you're, again, if you're squatting and your lower back is still like tight from the last set, you're not squatting yet. I don't care what the timer says or I wouldn't squat yet, I don't care what the timer says. Again, if your cardiovascular system, if your heart's pumping, if you're, if you're a cardio, if you're, uh, uh, you're breathing super fast, super short breaths because you're still exhausted from the last set of squats, like you're probably not rest, you're probably not squatting yet. Um, and so that, using that instead of a hard number of minutes to rest is gonna 
probably bring your rest times a little bit up over the course of the mesocycle. I would just take a note of like, you know, are you abusing this because your workout, you, you like, let's say you got 10 reps on the bench last week and you know, you're fully rested after three minutes and you could go again, but you know, if you rest another two minutes, you could squeeze out another rep. That's not necessarily as important. Like you're, you resting a super long time and performing a little bit better probably isn't going to make a meaningful difference over time, especially because most people are limited by time in the gym. And if you rest five minutes between sets and you get one extra rep on the bench or you rest two and a half minutes and you get one less rep, well, the, the second example probably either allows you to get done quicker or allows you to squeeze in more volume across the session. So I just wouldn't let it get too crazy, but I think it's totally fine if your rest periods get a little bit longer over the course of the mesocycle. But I would just keep an eye on whether or not you're milking that out, using that as an excuse to just fucking sit on the floor or on your phone or on Instagram for the entirety of the session. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Hope you appreciated the update. Hope it helped. Uh, you know, again, the people you want to look like probably live a life that you would fucking hate. And so keep that in mind. When you listen to me, we might live wildly different lives. We might have different priorities. We might have different social circles. We might have different, you know, offspring situation. Like, that doesn't mean you can't lose fat. You absolutely can. You can totally be successful. I just want you to know that when you watch people on social media have a really easy time with things, you're comparing yourself to somebody that just isn't you, right? You hear this, like, don't compare your chapter two to somebody else's chapter six. Like, totally. Not only is it your chapter two to somebody else's chapter six, but, like, the books are written in totally different languages. You know, yours might be a picture book. Theirs might be an encyclopedia. Like, there's, it's, it's not even, it's not even, like, apples to pears. It's, like, apples to alligators. Like they're just totally different things. You're living totally different lives. And so that whole comparison is the thief of joy. Like, yeah, it, it not only is it the thief of joy, it might even be the thief of success because you quit because things aren't going as fast as somebody you saw on social media. It's just not true. You don't live that life. And so don't hold yourself in a comparison to those people. Like just not something that's going to be fruitful for you. All right, guys, thanks for listening. I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.